With the usual flare, go shut me down. See if I care. Isn't it cruel? Yahweh approves. Bomb all the goyim now till nothing moves. Beware their bad news, Kazaria Jews, LARPing Hebrews, that pizza gate never was fake. Jeff and Ghislaine were paid by the deep state. They blackmail tunneling Jews, Jews in the walls. Hello, and welcome to another episode of EMJ Live from snowy South Bend, Indiana, on this January day where the bomb cyclone is about to hit. The biggest news of the week was the discovery of tunnels from the Habad Lubacher headquarters in Ground Heights, the Hasidic neighborhood in Brooklyn, and an abandoned mikvah or ritual bath. The discovery went viral, along with equally viral speculations about what was going on, which finally settled on the blood libel accusation with a Pizzagate spin. The ADL has already denounced the blood libel as a canard, but I, as I pointed out in the St. John Capistran Chapel chapter of the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, the claim is based on realities that were uncovered in trials which followed the standard rules for evidence. During the same week, Israel got hauled before the International Court in The Hague for genocide, and Harvard president, the Harvard president, Claudine Gay, got fired ostensibly because of plagiarism, but everyone knew it was because of pressure from big Jewish donors who wanted to ban free speech, any free speech that was critical of Israel or Jews or supportive of the Palestinians. Then there was a big debate between Nick Fuentes and Gavin McInnes over the Jewish question. McInnes maintained that the primary category was white, and that the primary enemy was Islam. When Fuentes demolished that position, McInnes walked out of the studio conceding Fuentes' point. Uh, 
which is that it's impossible to understand the news without an understanding of the Jewish question. Unless you're Catholic, in which case you're not allowed to talk about the Jewish question. The big news in that neck of the woods was Tucho Gate, the attempt on the part of Taylor Marshall and others to hijack the narrative around fiducia supplicans and turn it into a debate which ignored fiducia supplicans' endorsement of traditional teaching and focus instead on a book Cardinal Fernandez had written on sex and spirituality some 20 years ago. Marshall, Matt, Weston, and others did this to return traditionalism to its previous setting, one which proposed the Latin mass as an alternative to the Jewish question. This was the default setting for traditionalism in the years immediately following the council, but things changed with the arrival of a new generation on the scene, which saw the Latin mass and the Jewish question as complementary. Who was behind the changes in the liturgy? I've written about Jewish involvement in the culture wars, in culture wars and in the Holocaust narrative. Uh, we know that uh, Malachi Martin uh, was working for the Jews at the Second Vatican Council. We know that uh, Rembrandt Weekland was involved in hijacking the liturgy. Uh, we know lots of things about this. Uh, uh, we also know, as I said, that uh, a new generation came into being after the original generation, which used the Latin mass as a hideout uh, so they wouldn't have to talk about the Jewish question. Uh, I remember uh, the Latin mass parish here, the FSSP parish here in South Bend, Indiana, a seminarian who is now a priest came to me and showed me his dissertation, which is basically on how uh, the uh, translation into English basically dropped out all of the passages that were critical of the Jews. The Second Vatican Council, the reform of the liturgy, this was all used as a way of eliminating those texts. And here was a guy who was part of the SS FSSP who wanted to bring it all back. And so I said, great, uh, I'll publish it in Culture Wars. He said, well, I have to talk to my superior. And the superior nixed that idea uh, for reasons known only to him. Okay. Now, what about this new convergence here between uh, Latin mass and the Jewish question? Not Latin mass uh, to forget about the Jewish question, but both of them together. Uh, we know about this because the FBI issued a report on the group, uh, which I'm talking about. And this caused consternation after it got leaked. And Missouri Senator Josh Hawley called Attorney General Mark uh, Merrick Garland into a Senate hearing to explain it. According to that FBI report, uh, FBI Richmond assesses the increasingly observed interest of racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists, which they refer to, refer to as RMVEs, okay, uh, in radical traditionalist Catholic ideology. The report then went on to name nine RTC, which is traditional Catholic groups, operating in the United States in 2021 as defined by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Well, you know it's true if the Southern Poverty Law Center said it. Prominent among those groups was Culture Wars Magazine and Fidelity Press of South Bend, Indiana. 
this is not coincidental. This is the whole reason for that group. Why do I say that? Because I know the lady who created it. It was Heidi Byrick of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, she created this phantom conspiracy after listening to my speech on the Jewish revolutionary spirit at the Sam Francis Memorial at the National Press Club in Washington in what must have been around 2009, probably before 2009, because that's when the Jewish revolutionary spirit came out. So let's say 2008. Okay, she uh, was w expecting a racist uh, a narrative there. And what I said blew up the narrative. It pretty much blew up the entire room. People went screaming. We're running around screaming. Taki said, we're all going to be arrested. I've talked about this before. And she didn't know what to say. She said uh, in the first report, she said, E. Michael Jones was red-faced and shouting. Well, uh, I was red-faced, all right, because uh, they had these huge uh, TV lights on me, and I was sweating like a pig. Whether I was shouting, that's a matter of opinion. Uh, but anyway, she didn't have anything to say about what I said because she didn't know what to say about what I said because it wasn't racism. It was a whole new story here about the Jewish revolutionary spirit that has gone on to uh, have, in my humble opinion, a, 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 a considerable effect in shaping the narrative. Okay, back to the FBI report. Another group uh, uh, of suspicious people was America First, otherwise known as Groypers. Well, that's the name that gets applied to followers of Nick Fuentes. According to the FBI, RMVE, which is the racist, and RTC, which are the Catholics, frequently share language and symbolism, such as crusader references or, and here we get to the point, anti-Semitic discourses, leading to a growing overlap between far-right white nationalist movements and traditionalist Catholics. RMVEs will continue to find RTC ideology attractive and will continue to attempt to connect with RTC adherents, both virtually uh, via social media and in person at places of worship, specifically, and this is what Josh Hawley brought up, traditionalist Catholic places of worship. The episode is the FBI sending spies into Catholic churches. That was the gist of uh, uh, Hawley's uh, question. The, F the Richmond office speculates that the RMVE interest in RTCs <laughs> is likely to increase over the next 12 to 24 months, which means from 2023 or 2021 to now. During that time, the FBI expects an increase in, quote, disaffection with mainline Catholic churches in areas like abortion rights, immigration, affirmative action, and LGBTQ protections, providing RMVEs with a persistent Catholic-oriented base with which to react. Well, that's what's going on. We all know it. It became, there is this alternative Catholic movement. Michael Voris was a classic example of it. Uh, all the people I've already mentioned uh, are part of it, and they are expressing dissatisfaction, and they're located in uh, traditionalist churches, and there seems to be some type of coming together here, at least in the FBI's mind. Now, what happened is the exact opposite of what the uh, FBI expected. So it seems pretty clear from this report that the FBI expected traditional Catholics to become racist. But in fact, as the career of Nick Fuentes has shown, the exact opposite took place. So, and uh, proof of that is the debate between uh, Nick and Gavin McGinnis. 
uh, at a certain point, McGinnis is struggling to maintain the standard white boy line. In other words, white is a fundamental category. It's not a category of the mind. And that Muslims are the main enemy until someone asks, he's got a rabbi helping him. And somebody asks the rabbi, if you had, if you could ban two religions, would you ban Islam or Catholicism? And he says he'd ban Catholicism. Showing his card, showing the real animus that is at his work here. Okay. When Gavin McGinnis found that he was unable to defend the white boy anti-Muslim narrative against Fuentes, against the claim that the real issue was the Jewish question, he got up and walked out. That simple. You can watch it if you have three hours to spend. Uh, the Catholics, in short, didn't become white boys. The white boys became Catholics, who were now determined to return to the traditional position of the church on the Jewish question. This was the oligarch's worst nightmare. In order to thwart it, the deep state Catholics came up with Tuco Gate. This is what I said on January 9th. No matter what Tuco, we're being overly familiar, no matter what Cardinal Fernandez has written privately, his position on blessings and fiducia supplicans is theologically sound. Blessings do not condone the sins of those in irregular situations. It is the document we have to judge in this instance, not the man. Now, lots of people have written to me and say, oh, you're naive. It's a Hegelian thing. It's how the uh, document gets applied. James Martin is already claiming that it, it permits uh, gay marriage. Well, that may be the case, but that's not the document. And when you're dealing with the official pronouncements of the magisterium of the Catholic Church, you have to go to the document. And the document says what I just said. If someone takes that document and says it approves gay marriage, whether you're uh, James Martin or whether you're LifeSite News, both of these seem to agree on that. They're wrong. It doesn't do that. It does the exact opposite. And anyone who says it doesn't is lying to you or deliberately diverting you into uh, another alleyway uh, where you will be marginalized. That's what's going on here. As to Bergoglio, I'm continuing the tweet, I prefer him to Pope rather than Michael Voris, John Henry Weston, Michael Matt, and all of the other wicked schismatic pretenders to the throne of Peter. All of them have ignored the plain sense of the document. As Father Harrison has pointed out, Fiducius Supplicans closes the door to gay marriage by affirming the traditional teaching that marriage is between a man and a woman. The more recent Tucho porn moral panic is an attempt on the part of Taylor Marshall, John Henry Weston, and Michael Matt to distract everyone's attention from the fact that they could not refute what Cardinal Fernandez said about the blessings of people in irregular situations in fiducia supplicans. Tucho Gate was created to distract traditionalists from what Cardinal Fernandez said as prefect of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith by drawing attention to something he had written and withdrawn from circulation 20 years ago when he was not prefect and did not have the responsibility for conveying church teaching. More importantly, deep state Catholics created Tuchogate to destroy the convergence between traditionalism and the Jewish question because it could have united Catholics in a way that linked them to both the tradition of secret Judeus non 
and effective political action based on an accurate understanding of the real enemy, which is precisely what the FBI feared. That's my rant. Let's hear what you have to say. Okay. Hello uh, once again, everybody. Um, My name is Mike Bajakis, Dr. Jones' assistant. Uh, Some quick rules for people who are new. Uh, This is the call-in section of our show. Call-ins are made via our Telegram channel. Links in the description for those watching here, there, and everywhere. In Telegram, I'll call on those who raise their hands. And then uh, later in the stream, we'll read off text questions from the chat. Uh, Try to keep questions on subject. Try to keep to one question at a time. Be respectful of time. And do not, whatever you do, forget to unmute yourself. All right. Let us go to Telegram. First on the list here is going to be Glenn Muse. Uh, go ahead, Glenn. Good evening, Dr. Jones. Good evening. Welcome. Uh, I have a brief report from Cape Breton Island before you get going, okay? Um, <laughs> My my, bat, my battle with uh, with this uh, libertards up here has expanded. So every time I take notes to write the article, it keeps getting worse. They're better depending on how you look at it. Well, keep, today I want to give. Go ahead. Keep up the struggle. Canada is depending on you. Bit, well, you're going to hear something today. I'm going to get credit to my angel and to the Blessed Virgin Mary, who is guarding this whole venture. And today, uh, uh, there was an event that took place, and I have to relay it, take about two minutes, and then I'll let you get on. Okay. This morning, I had made an appointment with one of the older lawyers in the area. Now, uh, uh, they, uh, when I was going to go meet with this gentleman, one of my friends interrupted me and said, Glenn, this guy uh, is not feeling well these days after he had the booster. I don't think you want to talk to him. I said, okay. So immediately I changed my plans and I went to meet another gentleman and uh, a Lebanese young man by the name of Jamil, Stephen Jamil. He's a lawyer. And when I met him, I said, you know, I'm the most hated man on the island. He said, that's a good start, Glenn. <laughs> I said, relax. So at that moment, something happened. I felt a shift. And I drove up to one of the local fish joints for fish and chips. It's Friday. And my friend went in to get the fish and chips. And while I was sitting in the car, now this is in an Indian reserve called Member Two. Okay. And and so the chief of the tribe was there, who has a great fear of me because of this two-spirit thing that's going on. And so I approached him and said, uh, Terry, uh, Chief Paul, I am a Catholic in good standing. I am not what you're telling, but people are telling you about me. It's totally false. And so we made an arrangement to sit down later. So I get back in my car and I'm sitting there and you gotta understand, I have a little beater, okay? And it has a little leak in the gas tank and it was dripping down on the ground. And at that moment, this big white truck with a huge snowplow on the side of it comes roaring in. And I don't know how it missed taking the whole rear end of the car off, but it hit the tire and it lifted the whole car into the air with a massive bang. And there was no explosion, thank God. But it turned out it was a young man who was going out to get fish and chips for the box with the big truck. And his whole life was on the line at that moment. And I said, it's only a tire, young man. Don't panic. I said, we're in the middle of something here that you don't understand. I just want you to go down to my house 
pick up the spare tire on the front step, come back up here, and you put the tire on, and we're even. There's not going to be any. He said, I'm going to get fired. I said, you're not going to get fired. Okay. He said, it's between you and I. Okay, Glenn. So everything. Go ahead. Now, what's? So anyway, tell me the point. The point is that I've been blessed by Our Lady, and the past two months have demonstrated uh, that she is in total complete agreement with what I have to do and the miracles that are taking place. I have a young man sitting with me here. Okay, thank you, Glenn. That was great. Moving on here. We can't talk too long because it's against the rules. Let's go to Alejandro. Alejandro, you're next. Go ahead, Alejandro. Hello, Dr. Jones. Hello. Good. Uh, well, we know that uh, the Jewish revolutionary spirit uses many fronts, this multidimensional war against Catholicism. Do you see like the correlation between this Tuco gate with also happening at the same time as, for example, South Africa uh, suing Israel for genocide crimes? Uh, yesterday? Yeah, I think I think there is a connection. I think Tuchelgate was created to break up this convergence in the traditionalist mind uh, of the the the, the, ma the mass, the convergence between the mass and the, the traditional teaching of the church on the Jewish question. It was created to break that up. And I think, who knows? It, I read you the, the document from the CIA, uh, I'm not the CIA, the FBI. They're interested in this. So I think the government's involved in breaking up this growing consciousness among traditionalist people that the Jewish question is unescapable and it's the most important question that we're facing today. Well, thank you, Dr. Jones. I will always rem remember when you said that you are the one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. So <laughs> keep up I'm, the fight. I'm proving that now. Thank you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yes. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right, next here, let's see. Um, there we are. Uh, Veritosity. Uh, go ahead. Thanks a lot. Um, Dr. Jones, it's an honor to speak with you. I'm a huge fan, and, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm just grateful to even have the opportunity to speak to you. About producing a supplicants, because there's something there which I want to run by you, and I want to see, because... I'm with you mostly, but here's the issue. So if you're a person who's in the same sex, uh, you have same sex attraction, or you struggled with it, right? Yep. And, and then you're in a, in a relationship with a person, okay? You present yourself to a priest for a blessing. Now, I, I agree. I think you're right about the, the a blessing does not condone the sin someone's committing. But here's the problem I have with Fiducy's supplicants. Any person who's in a who's, who has same-sex attraction and then is in a, a couple, right, uh, and presents himself to a priest for a blessing, he's seeking the approval of the priest, whether it's written into Spinozian supplicants or not. That even simply the act, you, people with same-sex attraction can present uh, themselves individually okay. for individual blessing, but when they present as a couple. That's the problem I have. What, what do you say? Okay. I think that what they did was expand the notion that already existed, which is basically the couples in irregular situations can ask for a blessing. The classic example of this is couples who are divorced and remarried. They are living in adultery. 
And the church, right. the church has always made clear that you're not blessing the adultery. You're blessing the people and asking God to give them to grace, the grace to regularize their situation. Now, that obviously, if it's a heterosexual couple, regularizing the situation is different than regularizing it when you're a homosexual couple. Right. But I think the same, the same rules applies. It was just expanded to include couple. It is not blessing sodomy any more than it's blessing adultery. Right. Okay. I understand that. But do, do you acknowledge this is leaving that door open for people like Father James Warren and others who are obviously already presenting the case. I mean, that either he's on the front page of the New York Times doing a blessing of these two people who had already been married, by the way. So, I mean, it's problematic. I think You're right. was, I have a priest. I have a priest friend of mine and I talked to him very, uh, you know, you know, directly about this. And he said, well, the problem is really that it wasn't necessary. It causes a problem. He would have been giving blessings, and it was kind of an obvious thing, he said, that people that come in those situations may get a blessing, right? You individually bless each person. But just the idea that you're blessing so-called same-sex couples it's problematic. Um, well, you're you're I, right. You're right yeah. in saying that uh, James Martin has used it to, to as a, as a way of stating that this is uh, gay marriage. It's not gay marriage. The document said specifically that it's not. And if and if James Martin comes back and says, "Well, it's on the way to gay marriage," which is exactly what all the conservatives are saying, well, that's an abuse of the document, and it's not in the document. And we have to be make this distinction. You can't blame the document for something that it does not say. I, I understand that. And I respect your opinion because I think your point about the sort of supra-magisterium that Michael Matt and John Henry Weston and, and the, the, the former <laughs> church militant disaster uh, is exactly a bigger point that I totally agree with. We have to be careful for those people who are attempting to uh, weaponize Right, the confusion that Bergoglio causes enough confusion. Right, right? I, we don't I agree need with you. Him, we don't need that to be weaponized to leave the church. That's right. So thank you, and God bless you for that big point. Thank and, you. And uh, keep your amazing work, Doctor. I'm a huge fan. God bless you. Thank you. All right, great question there. Let's keep these great questions going. Next, we have our friend Lloyd. Love to hear from Lloyd. Go ahead, Lloyd. Don't forget to unmute. Can you can you hear me? I can, Lloyd. Yeah, okay. One second, one second. One second. I've just got to sort out my, my one second. Just bear with me, bear with me. You there, Lloyd? We can pick you later. I'm just trying to get my audio working. One second. Okay. There you go. I can, I can hear you now. Yeah, sorry. sorry. Um, so two questions. One, I know you've got a lot of reliable sources in New York. Are they, are they saying anything to you about um, what's happening with regards to the tunnels, etc.? And the second question is I noted that you're going to be speaking uh, in Canada, I believe, and I'm, I'm just really keen to understand how that came together. And um, you know what sort of you know contact you're making with the people up there. Thank you. Um, 
first of all, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on in the tunnels any more than anyone else does. I have no inside information in Kabat Louverture. So uh, we, uh, we, we, all I can talk about is this, this enormous type of speculation about what's going on there. Um, secondly, uh, I, run, I am not, as far as I know, I am not speaking in Canada. I will be speaking in Montana, nine miles south of the Canadian border. Maybe that's, maybe that's what's causing the confusion uh, in, in February. Right. Yep. Uh, but that's yep. not Canada. Uh, uh, Tamara Lich will be there. So uh, yes. I will get to talk to the lady who has uh, orchestrated the great trucker uh, convoy. Terrific. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. All right, thank you, Lloyd. Moving on here, let's go to, where was it? Frank Carmel. Uh, go ahead, Frank. Hi, Dr. Jones. How Hello. Are yeah, hi. So, um, do you remember Rachel Corey? She died in in uh, in Gaza. Right, she was run over by a bulldozer, as as I remember. That's right. Yeah, and that was in two thousand three on March sixteenth. So it's been almost twenty one years since then, believe it or not. Yes. And yeah, so at that time, um, I made a video with my stepdaughter. She was a young child at the time, and I gave her some lines and stuff. And then we planted some flowers in the garden and I titled it Flowers for Rachel. So, you know, fast forward to today and I have some anecdotal evidence that, uh, that, that our side is winning, that uh, people are being exposed to the, the Jewish agenda, let's say. And, and that's because uh, my daughter calls me, you know, this, earlier this week and says, you were right. <laughs> you know, she, she, she's not one, she never paid attention to the news, that sort of thing. And um, she called me and I, I think she saw something about the tunnels and then she found out which, about which, CNN which, censorship. Which, which, which tunnels are you talking about? The Jewish tunnels or the Palestinian tunnels? Yeah, the Jewish tunnels. Okay, yeah. right. okay. You know, and then she heard about the CNN censorship of the news from, uh, from Israel and Palestine and Gaza and all that. Yes. And she was, yeah, she was like, yeah, you were right, you know. <laughs> and um, and then, then she, you know, tied it in with uh, things about Hollywood, you know, the sort of the Dave Chappelle thing about the Jews controlling Hollywood and... Um, yeah, well, if we, if we can't use the category Jew, we can't understand what's going on. It's that simple. It's all over the news. And we, if we can't identify the enemy, we will ever be able to stop what's going on. So from Gaza to abortion, from uh, the tunnels to, to pornography, I mean, it's, we have to be able to make this connection in order to act properly. It's that simple. It's that simple. And, yes. and, and what I'm saying here is what we have is a massive attempt on the part of the deep state uh, to prevent Catholics from doing that. That's exactly what's going on right now. You have people who are basically saying, I'm the magisterium of the Catholic Church because I know that this document is wrong and you should follow me instead of those people in Rome. This is uh, an intolerable affront uh, to the authority of the Catholic Church, and I'm not going to let it go unnoticed. Okay. 
Well, anyway, so just to let you know that uh, Nikki Haley was right that TikTok, you know, longer kids stay on TikTok, they become anti-Semitic. <laughs> and um, and and the point is that you know this is a young person. My my stepdaughter, she's in her twenties, you know, mid twenties, and uh, you know I think she's uh, representative of what's happening. And the thing is that if if the uh, Israelis, if they had, you know, stopped after that first ceasefire, I think the whole thing would have pretty much blown over, you know. Yeah. Well, but now they now because they have, they've continued. Yeah. Now they have to deal with the genocide case. Anyway, right. Right. Thank you. Okay. Well, that, that that was my comment. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Frank. Uh, let's go to Quentin Heisler. Uh, go ahead, Quentin. Hi, Dr. Jones. How Hello. are you? Good. So I've been pondering, I don't know if you've written about this explicitly, but being a Germanophile, the Brothers Grimm get kind of marketed as this really earnest and enchanted uh, duo that were just trying to encourage the folklore of, you know, their national pride, which is kind of charming in today, uh, in the era of globalization. However, I can't get help but get the feeling that there was kind of some ulterior motives behind the the fairy tales and the folklore and some almost it just seems like they overlap with this kind of ever present Gnostic sensibility. Do you know what I'm getting at? I no, guess what, I'm just what, kind of like to pick your brain. What Gnostic sensibility are you talking about? Well, it just seems all the comparative mythology types always slide into that. All the folklorists, all the mythologists always seem to gravitate towards that um, heretical view of Christianity. That and it ends up, it seems like, though, yo, Christ was just symbolism. It wasn't a real resurrection, and it just seems, I get the hunch that the Brothers Grimm were probably no different. Well, if, if you can give me the evidence, I don't see it. I mean, what are you talking about? You really don't. Rose, Okay. Oh, I, I mean, give me an example. Well, Briar Rose, I would. Well, when I just to, to call that a Christian allegory, I, I'm not sure I, I buy that. Do you? Which Which is a Christian allegory? Bri well, Briar Rose, Sleeping Beauty. As, as Sleeping the, Beauty. The Grimms rewrote it. Dorn Rose. Yeah, I mean, I've heard. Dorn Rose. Yes. Look, obviously, I think there there are going to be similarities between Christianity, uh, Gnosticism, fairy tales, folk wisdom. I think that there are all, uh, going to be similarities, but that doesn't mean that the Brothers Grimm were involved in undermining the uh, the uh, Christianity in Germany. I I think the exact opposite is the case. I think the whole romantic revival in Germany, uh, the, the rediscovery of the German past that took place after the uh, Napoleonic conquest in reaction was a reaction to the Enlightenment, and it was Philo-Catholic. I think that that was going on. And it was also, uh, I've, I talk about this in uh, Logos Rising, uh, the birth of historical studies in Germany was a very significant event. It followed uh, from Vico, I think, and I talk in that book about how a lot of people like Hamann and Goethe and people like that would go to Italy and they'd go to Naples and the first thing they would be asked there is, have you read Vico? And they brought Vico back and I'm convinced, even though some people deny it, that Hegel was influenced by Vico and a lot of other people were to create an outburst of historical science in Germany, uh, anthropology, for example, uh, uh, archaeology. These are German sciences. We have 
uh, von Schliemann resur- uh, digging up Troy, wrecking Troy, by the way, but uh, that's another issue. Uh, this is all uh, uh, a philo-Catholic reaction to the Enlightenment, in my my opinion. Well, I stand corrected. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, let's go to Octavio. Go ahead, Octavio. Don't forget to unmute on your side. Hello. Jones, can you hear me? I can. Yeah. All right. Um, the, I I hate to go back to a few DJs supplicants because you have been talking about this, um, but I have a couple of more questions. Okay. I have been reading your article in in uns dot com. Right. It's quite good. You make valid points, and also here you made good points uh, in the early on and answering the previous uh, question, but still something that doesn't fit right, you know. Um, could you, just two questions. Uh, what exactly is the reason to release this document now? What what was the, the charge gain out of it? And number two. What, say say um, that again, repeat that. What did you say? What is? What, what is the, what does the charge, the charge, the Catholic church gain out of releasing this document right now. Okay. In the, in the, in, in okay. This uh, first of all, I think, it, let me, let me deal with them one at a time. I think it clarifies the issue at a crucial moment. I mentioned Father Harrison's take on this. Uh, it makes, it draws a line and it makes gay marriage impossible. It heads gay marriage off at the past, which is probably going to be one of the proposals of the Senate. So I think it has a positive effect in that regard. On the other hand, uh, you could argue that it's too provincial, that it only applies to the United States or maybe Western Europe. I think this is this is the gist or the reason you have such a vehement response from Africa. It doesn't apply to Africa. Same way the Latin mass doesn't really apply to Africa either. But these are neuralgic points in the church, and I think that's why the church is dealing with them right now. So, okay, what's the second question? Don't you think that there is a risk that in the future... Uh, in the same way that uh, many people distorted the Second Vatican Council under the, the excuse of the spirit of the Council, they will also distort uh, this topic in the future and use this Fiudicia supplicant as a, as a trampoline to further, uh, you know, in, uh, going into the wrong direction as a, yeah. a slippery slope. Yeah. It's just a step for them. Yeah, I, this is uh, ba- basically Antonio Caponato's uh, argument. He's arguing that uh, I'm naive, that basically what we're dealing with is a Hegelian dialectic here where they, they announce this, and this is the thin end of the wedge that gains uh, uh, acceptance uh, for something that was not acceptable before, and then they will use that to spring into gay marriage in the future. I've already dealt, I, I, I think the opposite is the case. I think it's a way of preventing that from happening. And, but beyond that, I have to say, look, there is, when you're dealing with magisterial statements, it's the, it's the document, it's the words that are important. It's not the background, it's not anything else. It's not, we're talking, a lot of people are talking about the potential for abuse, which I think is real. I mean, I'm not denying that. I think James Martin's a classic example of that. Uh, but you have to distinguish between the abuse 
and the document. And when it comes to the document, it's the words that count. And that's precisely what no one's talking about. I had this, I had the same experience with Taylor Marshall before. Him, he and Peter Gordon uh, said that I said that Mother Angelica was a lesbian. I never said that. And I kept trying to refer them back to the document. Uh, it was the Michael Voris, the book I wrote on Michael Voris. Uh, and they kept saying and uh, referring to their their understanding. In other words, no, your understanding is not the, doesn't correspond to the document. This the same thing is true of their misunderstanding or their abuse and weaponization. I would say of fiducia supplicants. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Jones. You're welcome. All right, let's do, uh, we'll do uh, one or two more and then we're gonna jump to chat. So everyone in the various chats, Cozy, Rumble, Odyssey, what have you, start typing in your questions. All right, uh, uh, one or two more, let's go to MV. Uh, go ahead, MV. Hey, Dr. Jones, I read uh, the issue of Culture Wars magazine, the new one, and about Dr. Str uh, Dr. Um, Colonel Strickland, or Bishop Strickland, and yes. you cleared up a lot with that article. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And sort of the built on the last caller, I'm a little confused. As I mean, it seems like between the gay marriage confusion, the Latin mass confusion, and Cardinal Strickland confusion, I I'm just amazed that the church has been able to publish and, and distribute and Pray, preach the doctrine for 2000 years with any success because it's like, okay, you issue this document, but then you leave it up to like SJ Martin and LifeSite News to determine all this stuff and translate it. Why is it so hard to just put something on the Vatican website, bullet points, executive summary, here you are, boom, 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 click here for more details. The messaging stinks and we're just not, they're not getting it out. They're, they're dependent on these other people and they have to keep correcting it. I'm not, I'm confused. I agree. Well, the main, Look, first of all, this has always been the case. It's well, there's if you want to go to real confusion, I mean serious confusion. Uh, read my chapter on the Aryan crisis in uh, in the Jewish revolutionary spirit. I mean that was a really subtle psych, uh, uh, philosophical and theological point. You know where Arius says basically, well, the son, uh, the father existed before the son. There was a time when the son was not. So therefore. Uh, the son is a creature, so therefore he's not God. I think that's a, a that's a powerful argument. It's wrong, but I can see how a lot of people would fall for it. Now, you take something like that, that is sophisticated, and you take a, a fast-forward 2,000 years, and now uh, not only do you have subtleties in the argument, but you have a huge lynch mob <laughs> at Twitter <laughs> shouting everybody down. Uh, so the, the whole confusion is magnified by uh, uh, the social media that lends itself to stupidity. It lends itself to ranting. It lends itself to, to denouncing people. It lends itself to ridicule. It lends itself to slang. Like like people coming on and saying, I'm engaged in Pope-splaining. I mean, give me a break here. <laughs> You know, I mean, this is the type of uh, rhetoric that is driving this lynch mob. It's no question. It's a lynch mob. <laughs> Read my Twitter feed and you'll see what I'm talking about. You know, uh, so I'm, I'm saying it's always been complicated, but the 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 uh, social media have made it so have become so powerful that they can drown out the, the church. 
there's so what it looks like, oh, there's just one guy over there. His name's Tuco, and he's got his opinion. But we have 5,000 people over here on Twitter who disagree with him. So, therefore, we must be right. Well, this undermines the teaching authority of the Catholic Church. Think, uh, I think the Vatican is holding up to even understand what you're talking about. Then you got like Mike over there straighten them out. <laughs> yep. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, we have no more callers and telegrams. Okay. Let's go to the. Uh, yeah. Written. So we'll we'll go to the written questions here. Uh, let's go to Cozy here. Uh, first first question is from Catulus. Uh, Dr. Jones, if if you could do it, would you make the Tridentine Mass as the ordinary Roman Rite instead of Novus Ordo? Uh, this is like if I if I were king of the world, what would I do? All right, I'll give you my I'll give you my honest. I look, I went, I was in Cincinnati this past weekend. I gave a talk in Cincinnati. I always like going to Cincinnati, and I went to the Latin Mass, the Sung Tridentin Mass at uh, Old St. Mary's. It was packed. It's all the, you know, people with big families. It's an edifying experience to see all those people together. I go way back uh, at St. Mary's, old St. Mary's. 30 years ago, I was going, I went to the Latin mass there and uh, told the people to move into the neighborhood and they ignored me. Uh, That's another story. Uh, 20 years after that, my son showed up. He was a parishioner when he was dancing at the Cincinnati Ballet. He was a parishioner, old St. Mary's. No one was there. Now it's packed. To, to the gills. Okay, so uh, I noticed at, at the Mass here, you've got, now this is a sung Mass. This is good, because when I was in Dallas, I went to the low Mass, and the low Mass is crying babies. I'm sorry, that's all it is. That's all you hear at the low Mass is crying babies, and there's some type of muttering going on up there, and, and that's it, you know? So that wasn't appreciately edifying. The, 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 uh, the, Sung Mass had beautiful hymns. Uh, Bach, uh, Italian, Bach was a Protestant, but he's uh, up there with beautiful hymns. Actually, it was Hostler. But anyway, uh, beautiful music, so that redeemed it to some extent. But there were things that simply didn't make sense. For example, the reading of the gospel and the reading of the epistle in Latin. Why are they doing that? Nobody can understand that. And so what they do is then they do it again in English. I think that uh, we can come up. I'm no liturgist, okay? And I have no authority, and I've avoided liturgical questions like the plague for my entire career as a writer, because I basically no way of affecting anything. But if I were, and you put me in this situation, so it's your damn fault that I'm going to say this, but I think there are possibilities uh, of uh, a convergence here. And one of them is the the mass at uh, Muskegon, the wedding I attended, Carrie Newton's son and daughter-in-law, where uh, the priest has the sung parts uh, in Latin and the parts where you have to understand it, like uh, in in English. I think it's possible to combine these two things. I don't think, but what you have here is an absolutely uh, ideological uh, gridlock where certain groups are battling over whether it's the 1958 missile or the 1962 missile or all this type of stuff, which is just way too arcane and has no meaning uh, whatsoever to the average person. I think it's possible. I think it's possible to do something different. 
I think it's possible to have the best of both worlds and name the, uh, the actual communication, uh, but uh, the sung parts in Latin. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. Everybody knows what they mean anyway. It's not as if you don't understand that sanctus means holy. Uh, and I think that if we had a, a better environment where the whole thing hadn't been weaponized, which is exactly what the situation is, it's been, I'm, I'm not objecting to the Latin mass, I'm objecting to the weaponization of that Latin mass. And if we had, if we could do away with that weaponization, we might be able to come up with something that is uh, both uh, traditional and, and accessible to the contemporary uh, church. All right, there's the answer. Uh, from Rumble, uh, Paulette's Mind asks, um, where was it? There it is. Uh, do you think the Vatican's release of FS document was on purpose to get Catholics to ignore the Jewish problem? No. I think the reaction to it was on purpose to get Catholics to new, ignore the Jewish problem. And we're talking, I've already said it, but we're talking about we want to break up this convergence that the FBI is afraid of. And I, I suspect that there are people who are doing the FBI's bidding here one way or the other and trying to spread this unity and break up the convergence that was already happening in the FSSP. When that priest came to me, the seminarian came to me and said, look at all these uh, Jewish texts that have been eliminated. I said this again uh, when I wrote the article on Traditionis Custodis when it first came out. And I said that Ratzinger's Sumorum Pontificorum was passive-aggressive behavior that was trying to deal with the Jewish question indirectly. And I said that because the Catholic uh, theologians in Germany accused Ratzinger of doing this uh, specifically, explicitly. So uh, go to Culture Wars and get that article on tradition that I wrote on Traditionis Custodis when it first came out a couple of years ago, and you'll get uh, a much more uh, in-depth explanation of what I'm talking about. Uh, from Cozy, Alex Great asks, Dr. Jones, are you familiar with the work of Gottfried Feder? Do you see that the U.S. can break the chains of usury? No, I'm not familiar with his work. Uh, I hope we can break the chains of usury. Uh, it's, it's a long, involved uh, struggle. I'm saying the only way to, the only way to long-lasting economic growth, much less prosperity, is doing what Heinrich Pesch said, which is to eliminate usury from the economy. Usury debt is strangling the economy. It is uh, out of control and it, it will it will destroy it will destroy the economy sooner or later. It's already destroying the economy because basically uh, of inflation. The way out of uh, uh, unrepayable debt, which is what we have right now, is the inflation of the currency which means it's turning into something that is worthless over a period of time. That is a crisis that the Biden administration has precipitated by its reckless spending on reckless adventures in the Ukraine and Israel and so on, and COVID measures, all these type of things have inflated the currency to a point where it's now a real serious problem. On Cozy, Toothity asks, uh, isn't it likely that James Martin and Paige Shills are misrepresenting the gay blessing issue because Francis condemned Israel? That's... Uh, Is there an Israel connection? That's a good question. That's a good question. I don't think I have an answer to it. 
I don't think I have an answer to it. I mean, uh, you're saying I don't see any antagonism between James Martin and uh, and the Pope. He can get a, a, an audience, whatever. That doesn't mean that uh, James Martin is supportive. I think he's using the Pope to push his agenda. And I think his agenda is gay marriage. And I think it's the, the, the acceptance of homosexuality. And I'm saying that is not in the text of fiducia supplicans. So maybe there's a break there, but it's only speculative at this point. Uh, from Catulus, um, Dr. Jones, uh, do you think of the enormous uh, FS rejection of bishop conferences around the world? Um, or what do you think of the enormous FS uh, rejections of bishop conferences around the world, mainly in Africa? I, I also heard that recently the um, Eastern Catholics all came out against it as well. So. Yeah. I, I understand completely the rejection in Africa. I think that one of the things that, uh, that the Pope did, which was a really a fool's errand and wrongheaded, was when he flew to Uganda and tried to get the Ugandan government to decriminalize homosexuality. I think that was a fool's errand. I don't think it respected uh, Ugandan culture. The heart of Ugandan culture is the Ugandan martyrs, which is also the heart of all of East Africa Catholicism. And the African martyrs were basically martyrs because they rejected the homosexual advances of the king. And to go there and kind of interfere in their culture and tell them to decriminalize, that was stupid. I, I, I see the hand of James Martin behind that, and the, uh, the Pope never should have gone along with it. Uh, it's not magisterial. There's nothing magisterial about it. It's a policy decision that he tried to force on the Africans and they rejected it. And I think that's why they're rejecting fiducia. They're not going to implement fiducia supplicans because basically it's not an issue there. Homosexuality is not an issue in Africa. And if you start talking about it, you may bring about the very thing that you want to suppress, namely the rise of homosexuality. The government, the United States government is fully behind the promotion of sodomy in Africa as a way of overthrowing their governments and overthrowing their culture. And so the Africans are right to reject it. And at best, uh, fiducia supplicans is irrelevant in Africa. And I'm saying the same thing is true of Traditionis Custodis. That's irrelevant in Africa too, because as far as I can tell, nobody's interested in the Latin mass there. These are both American phenomena. And it may be the problem here is that we're spending too much time uh, on America and not enough time talking about it, the, the universal church. From uh, Ultrafly on Cozy, um, has EMJ reached out to LifeSite uh, Weston, LifeSite News Weston, uh, to have uh, this discussion? They appear to be ready to talk about the JQ. Well, God bless them, but they weren't when I did reach out to them. So I, I'll tell you the story again. Uh, they published an article by a guy named Fimister who said, in order to be pro-life, we have to fight anti-Semitism. And I wrote a comment and I said, uh, anti if you, uh, uh, first of all, abortion is a fundamental Jewish value, okay? If you fight anti-Semitism, you are promoting Jewish power. If you promote Jewish power, you are promoting abortion. So why is LifeSite News promoting abortion? That got taken down within seconds of when I posted it, and no one ever reached out to me about that. Now, if they are going to if they are going to come around to the fact that the Jewish question is now unavoidable, well, God bless them. 
God bless them. Better that than some type of neurotic, neoconservative reaction, censoring reaction against everyone who tries to bring it up. So if they're, if they're ready to talk, God bless them. All right. Uh, where was it? It was an interesting question. Ah, uh, from Danville33 on Rumble. Um, uh, Bishop Barron was cited as living with a male bodybuilder and pays him over $200,000 a year for BS. Any comment from EMJ? Yes, it's in the article. I just wrote about it. Uh, I think that this explains uh, Bishop Barron's absolutely crazy position on the Jews. It's absolutely crazy. It has no basis in scripture. I think it's based on some type of fear of blackmail uh, because the whole exposure of uh, Bishop Barron's uh, muscle man fetish I, I think the guy got earned one hundred thirty-five thousand dollars. I don't want to correct; it's not a big deal, but it wasn't over two hundred thousand, as far as I know. But it's still a lot of money. And here's a guy who's posing in uh, what looked like homosexual erotic photographs, identical to the kind that Michael Voris was promoting, uh, and working uh, as the, the Bishop Barron's media coordinator. I think that got him kicked out of Los Angeles, and now he's in Minnesota. Believe me, you don't want to pose half naked in Minnesota, especially now with this bomb cyclone coming in. So is that the Minnesota is like the American Episcopus Siberia. So he's been banned to Siberia. Uh, now, I said that. And then at the same time, I said I, he got it right on fiducia supplicans. Now, this this is too complicated for some people. I don't know. But the fact that he understood fiducia supplicans I want to give him credit where credit's due. On the other hand, <laughs> he's now going to be speaking at the Acton Institute. <laughs> the optics are not good, Your Excellency. Father Sirico is a notorious homosexual. He never should have been ordained a priest. He led the life as a flame, not, not just, oh, he had a, a slip up and he, he sinned and went. To, no, he was he was the first man to perform gay marriage as a minister for the Metropolitan Church. He was a flaming crusader for homosexuality on the West Coast. And then he ducked down. He, he went through an identity change and popped up as a a, 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 a priest wearing the Roman collar. But he's still a subversive. He never stopped being a subversive because then he started the Acton Institute. And their main purpose is to undermine the church's teaching on economics uh, uh, and uh, documents like Rerum Levarum. He gets paid by Dutch Calvinists to undermine the church's teaching on economics. Why is Bishop Barron going there? Oh, what are they going to do? Work out the gym together? This doesn't look good. You know, much as I agree with Bishop Barron every now and then, it doesn't look good, Your Excellency. You're giving scandal here. You should not be doing it. And I think this is the main reason you can't preach the gospel on the Jews. Uh, a rumble from a user uh, asks, Dr. Jones, what are your thoughts on John Lennon? John Lennon. I think he's underestimated as a guitar player. I think he was he was the driving force behind the Beatles. I think his guitar playing. I think there because uh, the man who eclipsed uh, John Lennon was uh, Eric Clapton, and uh, so '69 uh, Cream shows up here, and Eric Clapton can play. 
obviously mastered the blues. He understood that backwards and forwards. And so he would launch into interminable guitar solos that probably exhausted him. Uh, But you, you, you lost, you lost the subtlety with that. You lost the subtlety of John Lennon's rhythm guitar playing and the subtlety of George Harrison's uh, riffs that complemented those. Those, they, they were later on, they were, they were really, uh, he was underestimated. I think he felt annoyed at that. He once said, complained about people like Clapton and said they couldn't write songs, which is true. Uh, but uh, I think they're both uh, underestimated. And I think it's a shame they simply got absorbed into that, whatever that machine was run by George Martin, uh, because they, they got to the point where they couldn't play in concert what, they're, what they recorded. And they tried to do the Get Back album, uh, that rooftop concert to get back to it. And I think it's worth, it's worth listening to that because I think it shows you uh, that they really did. I mean, they were really subtle and, and powerful pieces. Uh, that both of them did. So I think they were underestimated as guitarists. There you are. Well, it's uh, six o'clock. Want to do one, two more? One here? more question. One more. All right. Uh, on Telegram from Free Speech Canada um, asks, uh, what does Dr. Jones think about previous Pope's critical positions towards modernism? Is modernism good for the church? No, it's wrong. It's a, it's a heresy. Modernism uh, had its day. It was basically... Uh, I mean, if you want to go, read read Logos Rising, uh, the chapter on Garigou Lagrange and the the uh, basically de- the modernism's heyday was around then. These people are all being influenced by Catholics are being influenced by Bergson and Hegel. Hegel was uh, obviously Bergson was influenced by Hegel, uh, and saying that the primary thing is becoming, and he just demonstrated clearly no becoming can only exist because of being in order to become something you have to be something first and he showed the primacy of being over becoming and basically uh destroyed the modernist position and rightly so all right well there we have it this has been another episode of emj live it's every friday at five eastern standard time if you're not already subscribe to culture wars magazine at culturewars.com fidelitypress.org. All of Dr. Jones' books can be found there. Uh, Cozy, Telegram, BitChute, Odyssey, all those. Follow, subscribe, whatnot. Uh, I don't have any announcements. Um, uh, Do you want to tell the audience about what's going on in Montana this weekend, Doc? It's not this weekend. It's It's the beginning of February. Beginning of February. Okay. You can, you can, I'll I'll send, if you contact me, I'll send you the link if you're interested. All right. Well, any any other last words? Well, we uh, the other thing is next week uh, we have the co- the companion volume to uh, Holocaust narrative, uh, John Beaumont's book. Uh, he will be on next week, and we're going to talk about that uh, that book and the other side of the the Holocaust uh, narrative that we didn't that I didn't talk about in my book. All right. Well, thanks, guys. We'll see you next week, and pray that we are still here by the end of this snowstorm. We should be. See you all next week.